You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Well, many of you are new here, so some of you don't know this, but I have a really, really, really bad diet. Uh, I don't eat vegetables, and Lord willing, I never will. When I, when I order a chicken sandwich or a burger, I get it completely plain, just the, the cheese, the meat, and the bun. And I don't know if this qualifies as bad, but, but uh, I like my meat well done. So, so no pink, uh, burned, burned nice and charred to a crisp, because of course I would like to retain its, its taste. Uh, in my 20s, I should say, I should qualify that, in my early 20s, my diet was even weirder. Uh, there, was a, there was a period of time in my early 20s when I was trying to save money, and so I, I went and I bought protein powder, and I realized pretty quickly I didn't like the, the taste of protein shakes, and so I would take the scoop eventually, and I would throw it back in my mouth, and I would chase it with, with tap water. And it's actually pretty good if you've never tried it. Uh, I, I don't recommend it, but uh, I'm, I'm happy to announce that just about about two weeks ago, I started a new diet. It's going to be up on the screen, but I recently started <laughs> Nutrisystem. And Nutrisystem is basically a service that you get, and, and they deliver the meals, and you eat the meal each day. So it's a, it's a breakfast, it's a, it's a lunch, uh, it's a dinner, and it's one or two or maybe three uh, snacks that you eat every day. And it, it's actually, I must say, it's actually pretty decent food. I love how it's, it's all just kind of planned out for you. It's mostly stuff I like. But I'm happy to announce and report to you all this morning that after just about 10 days, I have lost seven pounds on Nutrisystem. I love Nutrisystem. It is changing my life, and you should try it if you haven't. Now, what I just did was I gave a testimony you all see where this is going. I just gave a testimony. And a testimony is like a statement or, or like a story. In the, in the law world, uh, a testimony is usually something you do in court. It's a, it's a written statement or it's, a, it's an oral testimony about facts, usually related to the case. In, in the commercial world, a testimony is, is usually a story uh, about how great the product is. Nutrisystem is great. But in the church world, and in the public sphere, what a testimony is, is the story about how Jesus changed us, about how he saved us, about how he came into our life and he transformed us, why we're interested in God, why we, why we go to church, why we participate in, in the mission of God. When, when you join this church, if you did join this church, we met with you to hear your testimony or we asked you for, for a written version of your testimony. We wanted to understand how has God encountered you? How has, how has the Spirit changed your life? And if perhaps you'll be here next week when we baptize people, you're going to hear them give their, their testimonies, their story about how, how Jesus changed them. Now, I mention all this today because we're looking at a famous passage in the Bible that shows us how people have testimonies how people have stories about life change. We're looking at the truth this morning of what it means to be born 
again. What it means to be born again. Now I know when I mention this term that this is scary for some of us. And we know that this term could be scary for some people. A lot of people think that a born-again Christian is a type of Christian. They, they really think it's probably more like a type of person. They think it's a person who needs an emotional experience. Maybe they, they have a particular emotional hardwiring. Or maybe they think it's a type of person who needs strong moral structure. They think born-again people are those, are those people in this world that have had traumatic experiences. Their, their life has, has collapsed under them. They're the drug dealers, the prostitutes, the, the Chuck Colsons of the world. And so they need these strong moral accountability structures. They need the church. They need people to come alongside of them to give them accountability. Growing up, I remember hearing about born-again Christians for the first time as a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old. My neighbor had this aunt, and, and I never met her, but they called her the born-again aunt or something, or something like that. And all I heard was that she was really, really, really weird. She was, she was a buzzkill. They talked about her like she was from another planet, like, like uh, the, the character in The Simpsons, Ned Flanders. This was the born-again aunt. She was very, very distant and very out there. That's what a lot of people think about when they hear this term or this phrase, born-agains. They think it's a type of person. It's a type of person that needs emotional experiences. It's a type of person who needs accountability structures. They've done bad things or bad things have happened to them, and so now they've turned to God in a very devout way, a very intense way. That's what a lot of people think about when they think about this, this concept of born-again Christians. Now, there's a huge, huge, huge problem with that idea. And the problem with that idea is Nicodemus. Nicodemus. We're going to meet him in our passage this morning. And what we'll see is that Nicodemus isn't looking for emotional support. He's not looking for emotional experience. He's not looking for any more moral accountability structures. He's not a Ned Flanders. He's not the type at all. Yet what we'll see is that Jesus is going to meet Nicodemus, and he's going to call him to be born again, to new life. And that's really the main idea of this passage this morning. It's where I'm going with this sermon. It's going to be up on the screen, and it's this. Jesus Christ can make you born again. Jesus Christ can make you born again. This morning, if you'll come to him, he can give you new life. Through his spirit, he can give you new eyes and a new heart to hear and to know. That is what being a Christian ultimately is. There's no such thing as being a non-born-again Christian. That's called a fan of Christianity. You might like the morals and the family values and the elevation of marriage and all those good things like feeding the poor, but Christianity at its core is life in the spirit. It's a new heart. It's new, a new set of eyes. It's a new set of ears. And Jesus Christ can give you that this morning if you'll come to him, if you'll trust him by faith. My points are going to be up on the screen. Really two points this morning, very simple. Number one, what does it mean to be born again? We'll see that in the first eight verses of John. And then how is it possible to be born again? We'll see that in the latter verses of this passage this morning. Let's dive right in. What does it mean to be born again? Again, verse 1, 
Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to meet a guy by the name of Jordan Peterson. You're going to see him up on the screen. There's us talking. This guy is a, psych, a psychologist. He's an author, and, and he's now known for a lot of his critiques on, on social issues. He's generally seen as a conservative, but uh, he's got a lot of nuanced views. So he's, he's not neatly fitting in any particular box. But here is us talking. And what I'm trying to do here is convert him to Christianity, (laughs) to hope that through my words, God's spirit would work and hopefully bring him to life. And we were talking a lot that night. He's probably one of the smartest people I've ever met in in my life, way smarter than me. But sadly, he didn't come to Jesus or anything that particular night. Nicodemus is a little bit like Peterson, smart, well-educated, well-known put together, filled with knowledge, not overly emotional, not needing a lot of external moral support or accountability, and without God's Spirit living within him. Nicodemus is a member of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were a religious group. Think of like a denomination. There's about 6,000 men who were committed to following every single command of the Old Testament. Judaism essentially teaches that there are something like 613 commands in the Old Testament, 248 do's and 365 don'ts. To be a Pharisee means you would commit your life to strictly following every single one of those commands. You'd go before three witnesses and you'd pledge that for the rest of your life, you would follow God's law zealously. These guys were zealous for God's law. They were smart, they were respectable, they were, they were well-known, and they were successful. If you get a Pharisee as a kid, you've hit the jackpot because they're going to obey everything you say. But Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's morally upstanding. There's going to be no scandals with Nicodemus. His closet is free from skeletons. If you ask him a question, Nicodemus is going to tell you the truth, no doubt. You can trust Nicodemus to go in the room and take the test by himself and not cheat. But notice, he's seen Jesus in action. He's seen some of the things that Jesus has done. And in verse 2, he comes to Jesus at night. He's probably trying to not be associated openly with Jesus. Some of the Pharisees had become suspicious uh, of Jesus. So he's coming at the night, and he's about to have a little evening meeting with Jesus. He says, verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you're you're a teacher from God. No one can do the signs and the miracles that you're doing unless God is really with him. He's essentially giving Jesus a statement. He's saying, we know there's something special about you. We know that you're, you're like a prophet or something. But really couched in that statement is a question. And the question Nicodemus is asking Jesus here is, who are you? What are you doing? Why are you here? What does all this mean? He's come to Jesus to ask, Jesus, help me to understand what you're doing. I have too much expertise to fully admit that I don't actually understand it, but help me to get what you're doing. 
But notice Jesus' response. Verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What? <laughs> Nicodemus says, Jesus, I see the signs you're doing. I, I see the, 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 that you're deeply affiliated with God. You're someone special. Tell me what it means. And Jesus says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. What's Jesus doing here? Well, he knows that Nicodemus' question comes from a place of searching. He knows Nicodemus' question comes from a place of wanting deeper understanding about spiritual truths, about spiritual realities. He knows Nicodemus, his question is about wanting to make sure he's as close to God and his rule and his reign as possible. Yet he knows that the only way Nicodemus is actually really going to get there is if he gets a totally new perspective. If he gets a totally new way of seeing the world. He'll have to go from seeing black and white to seeing in color. He'll have to go from seeing two dimensions to three dimensions. And to really understand it all, he needs to be spiritually made alive. Spiritually made alive. And Jesus calls this reality being born again. In effect, Jesus looks at Nicodemus in the eyes and he says, you, you used your reason. You've used your logic. You've, you've realized with your mind that there's something special about me. He says, but your reason, your logic, all your morality, it isn't good enough to see or come into the kingdom of God, which for Nicodemus would have meant at, at some time in the end when he stands before God, a, a heaven, if you will. Jesus says to see the, the kingdom, to, to see that, to see the kingdom, you have to be spiritually made new. You have to be born again. Nicodemus essentially comes to Jesus with a map, a life map. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, the map is wrong. He says much worse. He says you have the wrong eyes. You need new eyes. You need a brand new heart. And notice how Nicodemus responds, verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He says, wait, what? What, what are you talking about? It doesn't make any sense to him yet. And he says, how can you be born after you've been born? And he jokes. He says, do we just go get into our mom's womb and, and pop back out? In verse 5, Jesus cuts to the chase. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says, look, to be born again, to experience, to see the kingdom of God means you're born of water and of the Spirit. He says, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you can't see or experience the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You have to get a brand new perspective, a totally new way of seeing the world, a new set of eyes, a brand new heart. And the way this happens, Jesus says, is by being born of water and the Spirit, by being born of water and the Spirit. Now, what does this phrase mean, being born of water and the Spirit? Well, it's not referring to two separate ideas like say, water, baptism, and faith. Jesus is using this phrase to describe one idea. One idea, that God's Spirit, His very Spirit, comes into your life and changes you. Water there is a, is a metaphor for cleansing, for renewal. When the Holy Spirit is mentioned often in the Old Testament, often He's described like water. The Spirit comes and He's life-giving. He's refreshing. He brings about transformation and power and rest. 
That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the very Spirit of God has to come into your life and change you to give you new eyes, to give you new sets of ears, to give you a a whole new identity, to give you a whole new heart, the very life of God making you new. I shared this before, but C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, that he, he says that often when people think about this concept of being born again, they think of their, their lives as, as a little cottage. And the cottage is a little bit dirty, and it needs a little bit of, of, of tidying up. And so what do you do? Well, you invite God to come into your cottage. And a lot of people, Lewis says, this is how they think of this experience, if this is what they think it is, that God will come into your cottage and begin to tidy it up. But Lewis says... What being born again actually is, is that God doesn't just come into your cottage. He transforms your cottage into a castle for his very spirit to dwell in. This is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. He's saying, if you want to see, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you have to be transformed. God's spirit has to do a work in you when, where he would make you a new creation. And then Jesus really drives it home. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus says to Nicodemus, don't be shocked at this reality. Don't think that this is a new concept. Don't don't marvel that I've said you must be born again. He says, just like the wind blows around you, you can't see it. You can't control it, but you can feel it. You can see its effects. So in the same way, this is how it works, Jesus says. God in his grace moves and he makes people alive. You can't control it. You can't see it, but you can see the effects of it. It changes people's lives. It transforms their hearts. It gives them new ears and new eyes to really see. Now, I just want to stop here briefly and ask, what does it actually mean to be born again? What does it actually mean to be born again? I'm going to drive this home and make it as practical as I possibly can. What does it mean to be born again? Well, at least two things. Number one, it means God's power, his spirit has come into your life. It means that God's power, his spirit has come into your life. This morning, if you have any love for Jesus Christ at all with your mark, it's because God by his Holy Spirit, in his sweetness, in his love, in his mercy, in his grace, has been to the cemetery of your soul. He has raised your life from the dead. He has swept through your ark and brought you to life. He's given you a totally new perspective. He's given you a totally new way of seeing the world. You've gone from seeing black and white to seeing in color. You've gone from seeing in two dimensions to seeing in three. You have a new set of eyes a new set of ears, a brand new heart. You've been made alive by the Spirit of God who has renewed you, who has washed you, who has made you alive to God, your Father. It means that God and His Spirit has come into your life. And number two, secondly, it means that God's future power is working in your life right now. It means that God's future power is working in your life right now. When Nicodemus hears this phrase, kingdom of God. As a Pharisee, he's thinking, this is the ad moment. The kingdom of God is a, Nicodemus is thinking, is a, it's a fancy way of saying, essentially, heaven. One day, in the end, we're all going to be raised to life, and, and we're going to live happily ever after, Nicodemus thought. 
But Jesus seems to, 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 to say to you that being born again actually means you see the kingdom now. You enter into the kingdom now. That would have been a wild idea for Nicodemus to try to understand. But this is precisely what Christianity is all about. The king has come. The kingdom is here. In part, God has already begun his work of redemption in our hearts by his spirit. He's making all things new. And if he has begun a good work in you, one day he is going to complete that work on the day of Jesus Christ. What that means is that right now, if you've been born again, if God's spirit and light has come into your heart, if, if he's given you a new set of eyes, a new set of ears, a new heart, if you are already experiencing this, you're experiencing the life to come, which means there's no hurt. There's still, there's no fear. There's still guilt. There's nothing in this life that this power that's working in you isn't committed to healing and changing and moving and transforming. To be born again means we're new and we're being made new. And one day we'll finally be made new. It's life in the kingdom of God now, and one day life fully there now. This really leads us to our second point this morning. We talked about what does it mean to be born again? And second point, how is it possible to be born again? Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? How can these things be? He asks, how, how is this a reality? How can this be? And we're going to find out here in just a few moments that these things can be. You can have new life. I can have new life. We can be born again because the Son of Man has been lifted up. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Verse 10, Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Jesus says, you're the head of Israel. You're the teacher of Israel. You know the law and the prophets and the writings like the back of your hand. You know the Old Testament by, by Mark. How don't you get this? Jesus is probably thinking about all the, the times in the Old Testament where there's these prophecies, pictures of what the Spirit will do, how he's going to turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, how he's going to be poured out when God's kingdom comes, that that time was starting now, but Nicodemus doesn't quite get it. Verse 11, truly, truly, I say to you, says Jesus, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. Jesus speaks there with a we. He's speaking for himself and his disciples. He says, Nicodemus, you want to know what I'm doing? Why I'm here? What all this means? Is Nicodemus, you can't receive it because your heart is hard. He says, your expertise might be getting in the way, Nicodemus, your pride. He says, you think you know how all this works. You can't get outside of your framework. He says, therefore, you don't receive our testimony. You can't receive our testimony. He adds, verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He's saying, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, I brought you as far as I could and you won't believe. Your heart is stuck. It needs to be made new, but it's stuck. Now notice, it doesn't just end there. Jesus doesn't just Stop here. He doesn't just say, Nicodemus, look into your heart. He doesn't just say, Nicodemus, pray to God that he would give you understanding. He doesn't just say, Nicodemus, go away. And when you're born again, come back to me. There's a huge shift here in these final three verses. And it's really, really, really important for us to see. 
Jesus goes from being a teacher, talking about being born again and the Spirit's work, the dynamics of it all, how it feels, to all of a sudden talking about himself as the Son of Man. The Son of Man who comes from heaven, who came to do something possible that makes it possible for us to be born again. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus says, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, don't look at your heart. Don't look to your pride. Don't look to your framework of how you think the world is supposed to work. He says, look at me. He says, just like Moses lifted up the bronze stick in the wilderness so that whoever would look at it would be healed. He says, so one day I'll be lifted up. And he says, and whoever would look at me will be healed. We'll get eternal light. We'll get a new heart, a new set of eyes. Jesus doesn't just leave Nicodemus wondering, is this real? How do I get a new life in me? Because months later, Jesus Christ will go to the cross. And on the cross, he compares the pain that he's about to endure like that of a mom who's about to give birth. Through his pain, through his suffering, there will be new life. And on the cross, Jesus will die for Nicodemus' sin. He'll die for your sin. He'll die for my sin. Hate him full. And then three days later, he's raised to life, truly lifted up. It's being connected to that new life where we can truly find new life, a new start, a new beginning. Jesus tells Nicodemus, look at me. And he tells us this morning, look at me. Because in Christ, God has put every spiritual blessing in him, Ephesians 1. Because in Christ, we find a new life. We find a new heart. We find a new world. As the Gospel of John will continue, we're going to meet dozens and dozens and dozens of new people throughout the next few months. And Nicodemus seems to just kind of fade away. Kind of fades away to the night until we finally meet him again. In John chapter 19, 16 chapters later, Jesus has just died at the cross. And John tells us that Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, asks Pontius Pilate, can I have the body of Jesus? And all of a sudden, Nicodemus is mentioned there again in the text. He's with Joseph of Arimathea. And John tells us that if Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, two wealthy, well-educated older guys who bring the body of Jesus off the cross. They dress the body, they wipe the blood off the body, they clean the body, they put the spices on the body, they wrap it, and they bury it. Now, this is significant because this is a very bold move. Because at the time, all of the followers of Jesus had essentially gone into hiding. Yet these two are willing to put their lives at risk. It's risk. Nicodemus and Joseph Arimathea. But secondly, what's really interesting about this, the only people in culture who, who would ever wash or prepare a dead body at the time were basically slaves or women. At the time, it was considered a very bad thing to, to touch a, a dead body, to prepare a, a, a dirty body. It was considered a, a dirty thing. And so a man of particular rank like Nicodemus would never do something like this, especially a guy on the Sanhedrin 
especially a Pharisee, would never do something like this. What does it mean that he did? What does it mean that he did? Well, something changed in Nicodemus. Something changed in Nicodemus. Because on the one hand, he's more courageous now than he's ever been. His pride is gone. His cultural pride is gone. His class pride is gone. His male pride is gone. He's bolder now. He's more humble. And he's more flexible than he's ever been. Why? Why? Well, because something changed in Nicodemus. His whole identity has been pulled up and replanted in new soil. This is the new life. This is being born again. This is having God's spirit come into your life and change you and transform you. Looking back on Nicodemus, there was no one, no one in the entire world that night whose credentials were more impressive as far as acceptance with God is concerned than Nicodemus. Yet Jesus tells him the same thing he would tell every one of us. You must be born again. This morning, God is primarily not after it. External cleanliness. If I just get things in order, if I just get a haircut, if I just start making better voices, if I just come to church, that God will be pleased. God's not primarily interested in your personal remodeling project. It's the raw math. God wants to remake you and reshape you from the inside out. And this morning, he can do that if you'll call on the name of Jesus Christ. If you'll trust him this morning, the one who was lifted up for you. And this morning, if you find yourself having faith in Jesus Christ, if you, have, if you find yourself having any love for him, for his people, for the church, we're reminded that it's God in his Holy Spirit, God in his power, his mercy, his grace, has been to the cemetery of your soul. He has raised you from the dead. He swept through your life and brought you to life. Has moved you with the Lord's Supper. Let's praise God this morning for his grace in our lives. Let's praise God this morning that we can see the kingdom because we know the king. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.